Hello, hello, and welcome back to Overwhelmingly Underwhelmed. I'm your host, Lexi, and today we start my series, The ADHD Diaries Diagnosis. Let's get ready to have some uncomfortable conversations in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to Overwhelmingly Underwhelmed. I'm your host, Lexi, and today we're going to be talking about my ADHD diagnosis. I'm just making this a quicker piece of content because there is a part two to this where I want to discuss more of the implications around the medical industry and women with neurodivergence. But for now, I'd like to share with you my story because I believe that it might help some of you go and seek out a diagnosis. Funnily enough, I've already recorded this piece of content, uh, 25 minutes of it, which I think, first of all, is way too long for something like this. But secondly, I had a piece of food on my face. So I recorded the whole thing and then looked back and saw there was a giant piece of food on my face. And if you're anything like me and you hyperfixate on things, I know that's going to get in the way of you watching this or listening to this. You can't see it if you're listening to this, sorry. But if you're watching this, that would have got in the way for me, so I'm assuming it would have got in the way for you. Anyway, let's get right into it. So the first thing I'd like to say is I am not my ADHD. However, I did let it envelop parts of my life because I didn't know it existed. So I'm currently 31 and I was diagnosed when I was 30. Being diagnosed with ADHD when you're 30 is a bit mind-blowing because it gives you a lot of answers, but it also makes you extremely frustrated as a person. The difference between men and women with ADHD is that obviously men externalize the symptoms and women internalize ADHD symptoms. And I'm not saying that there isn't crossover because there absolutely is, but when I think of ADHD, I think back all the way into primary school um, about those children who were given different workloads, put in different classrooms, who are extremely interruptive as people, who are always on like the naughty list, um, quotation marks in the air there for those listening. And the stigma around ADHD uh, when I was a kid and growing up in my teens was always that ADHD and neurodivergence, people on the spectrum, that was brought about because of their upbringing and because of additives in food, which we now know is pretty BS because ADHD and neurodivergence tends to be hereditary. So if you are neurodivergent, it is very highly likely that one of your parents is also neurodivergent. Um, And by the way, I am very aware that neurodivergence covers a lot of things. For now, I'm focusing on ADHD because that's what I have been diagnosed with. All the way back then, there was no external signs that I had ADHD. I was fairly high performing in primary school. I was the school captain. Um, Through high school, my grades were fairly average. Um, There were certain classes that I liked more than others, and I definitely focused on those a little bit more. But I think that's like any average person, any average human being growing up through classes. However, there were signs of my neurodivergence throughout my personal life. And now that I look back, I can see those signs, but I can see also how they would be hard to miss, especially for medical professionals who had focused on ADHD in men because that is what their um because that is what the studies have focused on traditionally it was ADHD in men in the 50s white men at that so i can see how it would have been missed however it is highly frustrating that medical professionals have missed this because as somebody who believed they were genuinely broken as a person for the last 10 years it would have been great to find out that my anxiety and depression were not taking over my life all the time because I had just anxiety and depression and an inability to fix or help myself with that. That's 
the whole other episode where I will focus on that. For now, here's my story. I have already written a blog on this. It is sitting on my website. You're welcome to go and read it if that's how you like to take in this. But I will focus on just how I figured out how I had ADHD. I think the first signs came through after I graduated university, uh, where, by the way, I couldn't sit still in any lectures. And I was always really envious of people that could sit in the library and focus on their subjects for hours on end because I was never able to do that. I would sit there for maximum half an hour. And in that half an hour, I'd read one page, look at my phone 600 times and find 60 other things to do. And in lectures, I was never able to sit through a whole lecture to the point that I would stop going to lectures because I thought they were a waste of time. I made my way through university uh, as somebody who did most of the things they had to do last minute because there was heavy procrastination. And I was lucky enough to pass most of my classes because I have a general smarts, which is not sticking an uh, stick up my ass. It is just the way that I have been brought up. I am lucky. I like to read. I like to hyper-focus on things. So I'm able to research things fairly well when I'm on my medication now. But back then, it was tough going through university and knowing that I could do better, but somehow never being able to do better. After university, I eventually found myself in the tech industry, which I have or which I was working in for over half a decade. And the tech industry suited me really well. And you know why it suited me well? Because the tech industry is that fast moving that you are given a position on day one, but you will probably do um, at least three jobs in that one position to the point that the company then opens new positions and then puts you into those positions as well. So you're constantly learning new things, which by the way, is a big positive of the tech industry, but also you don't have to focus on one thing at a time. You can focus on six things and you are applauded for that, not reprimanded. So I fit in there very well. However, as positive as that was, the other signs that I would like to bring to your attention are not as great. I am unable to hold relationships for very long, and that um, includes friendships and romantic relationships. And I think that there is some parts of me that feel like I never deserved to, but there's also other parts of me that I now see in a lot of people that have ADHD, and that's that they can't keep friendships for very long. And when I say that, I have not one friend continued from high school, primary school, or university, and that was less than a decade ago. There is one friend that I've had since I was 18. We talk once every three months on Instagram. That's it. And the rest of the people I have in my life have been in the last three to five years that I've picked them up along the way and they've been willing to put up with all my quirks, which is great. Thank you very much. But it is something that I now look back on and I wonder if there was some kind of diagnosis, if I was able to potentially hold friendships longer because I still go into friendships very nervous. I'm really not sure how to read social cues well. I don't take a lot of, I can't take jokes. I don't understand a lot of sarcasm. I'm very black and white, which takes me to my other point that I think there might be other parts of the neurodivergent spectrum that I uh, also sit on, but that's for the second half of this story in a few minutes. Anyway, the other things I'd like to bring up is I'm extremely messy as a person. You will find my ADHD piles everywhere, which is frustrating for my partner. Um, I'm extremely picky with my food and I'm candid to a fault. Sometimes it can come across as rude. I have no idea how to regulate my emotions and I'm working on that because now I have a diagnosis. We're able to work on the behavioral parts of this, but going from zero to a hundred has been I think looking back in hindsight, the biggest red flag that I had ADHD because at no point in my life was I ever able to take negative news in well. It was always 
you would say something, for example, hey, Lexi, I don't think you do this well. And I would go from zero to 100, extreme crying instantly. I wasn't able to regulate that emotion. It would be like two or three days where I'd lock myself in the house and not talk to anybody because I had no idea how to work through what I had been told. And I think that's probably the biggest flag for me. The other bits and pieces, as we know, can't focus on anything at any point. I need fidget toys all of the time. I can't deal with a task. If you tell me to clean the kitchen, I don't know how to or where to start. Getting to my present day, I have been through two psychiatrists so far. I'm not impressed at all with either of them. And I think that might have to do with the medical industry really focusing on men and their neurodivergence and not having enough research around women. The first um, psychiatrist I went to, I ended up there because my psychologist had an inkling of a feeling that there might be a chance that I had ADHD. So she put me through a test, which I think was about $40. And the test included a list of questions, which I had to answer. And then my partner also had to answer those questions. And I wa- we weren't allowed to look at each other's answers. And it was taken back to my psychologist who then graded it. And through that, we figured out fairly quickly that there were a lot of symptoms of ADHD. My first psychiatrist that I went to, I left because she was like me, unable to focus on me, was constantly picking up Skype calls and phone calls inside our um, conversations. And it got to the point that you're paying $400 for a 30 or 20 minute session and it's just not giving ROI. So I was pretty keen to move on. But interestingly with her, she didn't think I had ADHD. She thought I had um, traits of ASD, autism, and also bipolar traits, which I am yet to explore because my current psychiatrist, who is a man, he thinks I have 100% ADHD and no traits of ASD or bipolar. So very frustrating still, but I know I'm on the journey to figuring out where I actually am on the spectrum of neurodivergence. However, the ADHD has been pretty prevalent with this psychiatrist that I'm working with right now because the medication he's had me on works. And I would like to take you through some of those medications now. The first one he gave me was a short-acting medication. So in ADHD medications, there's two types you can be prescribed. Uh, Again, not a lot of research has gone into this since the 50s. So uh, it's the same medication, which means the heavy set of side effects. So keep that in mind if you do go and decide to get medicated. And I'm going to walk you through those right now. The first thing I would like to say is that you cannot take the first medication and assume it's the best you're going to get. If you are unhappy with that, you need to bring it up with your medical professional and you need to talk about a better plan. The first medication we had me on was a short-acting dexamphetamine at 5 milligrams. So short-acting means that from 4 to 6 hours, you're supposed to take 1 or 2 a day. Um, These types of medications are not supposed to be taken every day. They are taken when you need. This particular short-acting medication gave me the worst migraines. And I already get migraines as a person, so I would, by 4 p.m., be extremely exhausted and have a migraine to the point that I couldn't see. So I went back with this feedback. The second medication he had me on, we went onto a longer acting because we believed that the really fast ups and downs of the short acting might be what's giving me that migraine. We did a 20 milligram dexamphetamine and it was okay. It didn't do very much in comparison to the short acting in that few hours that I did have. And it gave me a slight headache on the come down as well, which, as we understood, might be something that I have to deal with for a little bit before my body gets used to the medication. However, we decided to move to a 30 milligram dexamphetamine, which is what I'm currently on and what I'm on today. Side effects of this, in the positive, I get a lot of stuff done when I'm on this medication. I'm calm. I'm collected. I'm not angry at the world, which is 
something that I found myself to be a lot of days, which is really sad. I'm not angry at myself all the time. I'm able to do a lot of content, which I bang out, and I love that I'm able to do that. The first thing I do when I'm on this medication, I go for a walk and I come up with so many things that I want to speak about and then I write it all down and I'm able to create that content straight away, which is really exciting. Um, Bad side effects, you don't have an appetite on the medication, so you do need to set alarms to eat, which I do. I try to eat a heavy protein and um, vegetable and fruit diet and I drink a lot of water during the day because the medication has that side effect of giving me a headache. So I want to lessen that as much as I can. The other bad thing is it really interrupts your sleep. Now, given that I have always been a really light sleeper, I've had interrupted sleep my whole life. This is just something that I'm able to function on, but it is very frustrating and I do hope that it passes because lately I have been trying to work on my sleep schedule a little bit more and it has become a little bit better because I did quit my job. I think that was a big thing, but that is a really big thing with people with ADHD is there's a lot of sleep dysfunction and I've had that since I was a kid. So since I was like 15 years old, I remember sleeping at my boyfriend's house and he used to sleep on the mattress on the floor because I could never sleep with him in the bed. The hypersensitivities I have to people sleeping in the bed, like movement, breathing, um, sleep talking, all that stuff, I can't sleep through it. And to this day, it's still something that I have as a hypersensitivity, which is really frustrating because it does mean that I have to constantly think about where to sleep and how to sleep when I go away on holidays or where I'm visiting someone else. The biggest thing is the constant overwhelming thoughts and overthinking that happens in my head. I can never think of one thing at a time. It's always a stream of things at the same time which is very frustrating as a person because when you're having a conversation with somebody, you can't fully focus on that person or the conversation because you've got six other conversations going on in your head and another 20 questions that you feel like you need to answer. This current medication that I'm on is working. It's good. I probably will work with my psychiatrist to see if we can get even better. And the other thing I will say is I have booked with another psychiatrist, but she's not available to March that specializes in ADHD, ASD, and bipolar. Because I'd really like to explore a little bit more around what I was told in that first psychiatrist's office. And I think it's really important that if you do have traits that you recognize as neurodivergence, it's important that you see a medical professional. Something that I have done because I don't think there is enough research around women with neurodivergence is I have joined Facebook groups, forums, and I follow a lot of creators that talk about neurodivergence in women so that I can understand myself a little bit more and try to help you out a little bit more, especially if you think that you might have traits of neurodivergence. Before I go, I'd just like to read this particular excerpt from an article that I have linked in my blog. It is from a woman called Kathleen Nadu, who has a PhD and is a director at Chesapeake Psychological Services of Maryland in Silver Spring. And she specializes in treating women and girls. Nadu says that the single most common word women use to describe the symptoms when they see her is a pervasive sense of overwhelm, one that evades all kinds of remedies and persists for months or years. Years of living without a diagnosis can damage a woman's psyche. Women and girls tend to internalize ADHD symptoms, whereas males tend to externalize or more openly and unbashedly display traits as such as hyperactivity, fidgeting, frustration, or inattentiveness. Internalization of symptoms, being secretive or masking feelings of anxiety, self-doubt and inferiority contributes to late or misdiagnoses. And the last thing I would like to say, and something that I have written down that I would like to read out because I'm proud of the way that I have worded this, it shouldn't take me to get to my 30s before somebody thinks outside of the usual women's issues box and asks me to take a test for neurodivergence. 
The medical system is failing us and doing nothing to dismantle the stigma around these conditions by continuing to disregard our experiences, and I see that story on social platforms every single day. I have now joined multiple Facebook forums where like-minded women are working together to help each other in everyday tasks, and I openly speak about my experiences to those around me so they know what to expect socially. One of my friends even messages ahead and tells me that her room is available for quiet, decompressing time if I need it whenever I attend her house parties. I often wonder what my life would have turned out like if I had seeked diagnosis sooner. Whilst I don't define myself through the traits of ADHD, I find that they do insert themselves into a lot of who I am as a person, and sometimes it's hard not to question who I would be without the condition and wish I was like my friends who don't have constant overthinking traits. Either way, I am learning to embrace it, and soon I will figure out how to make it my advantage. So, if you are hearing some of these familiar traits in here, if you are overthinking every day, if you can't stop your brain, if you can't keep it quiet, if you can't sleep properly, if you have no idea how to regulate your emotions, if you have loud outbursts and tics like I do, where you might be constantly making noises and not realizing it, if you have things like picking your skin, which I have so much of, and I think I've spoken that about that on my social platforms where I kind of just wake up in front of the mirror and I'm picking at my skin. If you have any of the traits that I have spoken about in this particular piece of content and more, which I'm sure I have missed, then I would ask you to go out and seek a medical professional's advice. If you can, seek a woman's advice when it comes to a medical professional. And that's just because of my own experiences. That's not because of sexism or anything like that. I just feel like through my own experiences, I have had better experience with women who are psychiatrists, psychologists, and doctors. And I feel like the empathy would be a lot higher there. And I would ask you to go and do your own research before you go to a lot of these medical professionals so that you have an understanding of where you want to go to seek a diagnosis. And I really hope that this piece of content has helped somebody today. Again, I will do a second part where I talk a little bit more about the medical industry and neurodivergence in women. I think that's a really important topic to approach. But for now, that is my very quick summary of a story. I hope I stayed on track because I am on my medication today. I'm sure there are bits and pieces I've missed, but I'm sure you will see those on my Instagram and other pieces of content that I make. I hope you go out and do something that makes you uncomfortable today and stimulates your growth. I will see you next time. This has been Overwhelmingly Underwhelmed. You are listening to Overwhelmingly Underwhelmed with Lexi Partell.